We're back. Welcome back. It's good to be back. We've been, uh, in case you forgot, we've been talking about this. We've been, had a teaching series called Fully Man. And the question is, what sort of a thing is a human being? <clears throat> and uh, so I thought it would be useful to uh, today's lesson to talk about uh, where we left off. So I just want to do that very briefly. We started, uh, I don't know when, a while back with this question, what's the first thing the Bible says about human beings? And the first thing the Bible says is that human beings were created by a personal God and a triune God. Uh, And so uh, the first thing the Bible says about human beings is we're created in an act of God according to a predetermined plan of that God. God is personal, a three-personal God. One God and three persons. So our creation is wrapped up in the doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, And uh, we took some implications from that. The the first is that we're not self-existent or self-sufficient. We are contingent and dependent beings. Now, this is from the lessons way back. We haven't gotten on today's onto today's lesson yet. The second thing we learned was we have a purpose, and we might say that purpose is given. It's not a purpose we determine. It's a purpose that was determined by the Creator, and that purpose is to uh, bear His image, uh, to. Uh, live according to his likeness that is in relation to him and to bear his image in the created universe Uh, so that's our relation our horizontal relation to the rest of things including each other Uh, then uh, with the third thing you might infer from that being created beings is that we are responsible. We are responsible to our Creator. That's another way of saying part of God creating human beings is He creates human beings with agency, with personal agency. Or uh, sometimes I find this way of saying it a little less appealing, but we might say with will, with free will, with decision-making power that is real and is responsible. So in the creation of humanity, we see reflected God's, God's sovereignty and our responsibility. This is the, goes all the way back to the beginning, and this is a classic problem for our human brains is how can God be sovereign and we be free? Uh, the answer is somehow. Uh, because the Bible is clear from the very beginning that both of those things are in fact the case. So in the second lesson then we talked about what do the words image and likeness mean and we uh, came to this, uh, this conclusion image reflects our uh, our divine uh, responsibility in the in the created world we bear his image we are reflections of his character his glory likeness has to do with the fact that we are created in relation to him that we are the animal, the, as one theologian puts it, the praying animals. Um, so our being created in, according to the likeness and in the image of God reflects those two relations. To be fully human means to be wholly directed to God and to be wholly directed toward others. To, we see this in the great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart love your neighbor as yourself. This is a reflection of image and likeness. So, uh, and then God's, the, the additional responsibility God gives us is that we would uh, b- 
be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, you might want to ask the question, fill the earth with what? Well, obviously human beings, but what, what is that? That's the glory of God being spread around earth. Uh, human beings are, are to be, uh, well, little images, little icons is one word the Bible uses of God himself. Um, <clears throat> of course, Christ is called not just made in the image of God, but the image of God. And uh, so he is perfect humanity is what that's referring to. He's the human being that is actually already completely fulfilling that uh, purpose of God in humanity. Uh, then we talked about uh, Eve <laughs> because right there in the statement so God created man in his image according to his likeness the very next statement is male and female he created them and then in chapter 2 of Genesis we get sort of the story of that uh, so God sees all the whole time God's stopping during the creation process during the six days of creation he's periodically we get an assessment God saw that it was good God saw that it was good God saw that it was good when he, after he makes man male and female he, we get a different assessment <clears throat> God saw that it was very good the, the point of all of this in the literary context of the book of Genesis is all of this creation of other things is aimed at the creation of humanity. Creation of humanity is the pinnacle of the story. And you see that in chapter 2 where <clears throat> in verse 18 of chapter 2 the first two words of that uh, verse are not good. This is the first not good thing. And the not good thing is that man is alone. So God forms uh, animals out of the ground. He brings them to Adam. says, what do you think of that? It's just a parade of animals. And the point of all that parade is in verse 9 of well, no, verse 20, <clears throat> Genesis 2, as for Adam, he did not find a suitable partner. So no other kind of animal was a suitable partner to Adam. We, he's, his uh, uh, having a dog was not going to solve his problem of being alone. He needed a suitable partner, a comparable helper, a uh, complementary partner, someone who's his equal, but not the same. So then God takes the rib from Adam, makes Eve, brings, brings Eve to Adam. We use the same language there when God brings Eve to Adam that we used when God brought the animals to Adam. And then now Adam gives a different response. He says, that's right. Now, he, he literally says, you could translate this and it would be a good literal translation. Uh, finally. That's it. Now we're talking. That's, that's right. So Adam says, at last, this one is for me. Bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, shall be called woman. It's just an accident of language that woman and man in English are kind of like woman and man in Hebrew. They, they sound alike. You know, the, what this, the word for woman is kind of based on the word for man. Uh, she's part of him that was missing. She's the part of him that was missing when, there, when he was alone. And now we're at very good completion. 
of creation. This is also a reflection of God's relational nature. God is not a, an individual person. God is a triunity, trinity. Uh, God is a relation of persons eternally. And so it makes sense that the creation that he makes in his likeness to bear his image is also a uh, necessarily relational persons. And so in the relation of the husband and the wife, we see the reflection of uh, the Trinity. This, that, that theology, by the way, is carried all through the whole Bible into the, the Christian doctrine of marriage as you'd find it in the New Testament. It's a reflection of the relation between God the Father, God the Son, and of the relation between God the Son and the church. So there's a, a layered uh, reflection of that. And then, of course, the be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, we're talking about the extension of the family of God throughout all the creation. So that's where we've been so far. And today, we're going to talk about what went wrong. And we start with this commandment that God gave. <clears throat> this commandment, by the way, he gave uh, before the creation of Eve to Adam. There's an indication here of the what we call in the theology school the federal headship of Adam in the whole all of humanity that Adam is the responsible head of this family and he's responsible to God in a very direct way and God gives him this commandment but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it from it you will surely die in the Hebrew, that, that text, you will surely, the way we say that in Hebrew is, the day that you eat from it, dying, you will die. We actually repeat the verb of the word die in two different forms in order to say for certain. Uh, dying, you will die. Surely, you will die. And that, that's important as we go into the story of the serpent's conversation with Eve, which uh, starts in chapter 3. So let me just read Genesis 3, 1 to 7. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, Serpent, we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the middle of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. <clears throat> so, we just want to make some observations from this text. The, well, let's start with the question that the serpent begins with. He says, did God really say you shall not eat any tree in the garden? Well, of course, God didn't say you can't eat any tree. He said there's the one tree you can't eat. But I think the sentence here is emphasizing something else. Something like this. Did God really say you can't do what you want? No. He gives free will. <laughs> Did God say 
did God actually limit your choices among the trees? That's what he's asking. Did God put a limit on you? Like, why shouldn't you be able to eat any tree? That's the question. Uh, <clears throat> now the woman said, well, we can eat trees except for the one. She doesn't, by the way, call it by its name. I don't know if that's interesting or not. I'm sure it's interesting to some people, just knowing how theology schools work, that somebody's making a lot out of the fact that she doesn't notice that it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil here. She just says the tree in the middle. <clears throat> now, what we do know is she probably relied on Adam for her information of this commandment. Because she wasn't there when God gave Adam this commandment. <clears throat> he says, uh, she says, well, we can, we can eat any tree we want except for the one in the middle. We can't even touch that one. Also something God did not say. So it could be for safety's sake, we said between Adam and Eve, we made the sort of additional rule, don't even touch it. Could be Adam gave Eve that rule, stay away from that tree, don't even touch it, or you'll die. The other thing she doesn't say that God did say was God said, dying you will die. And what she says could be translated, or you might die. In other words, God said, if you eat that fruit from that tree, that immediately, that day, you will die. And she says, you could die. She's not, she doesn't say dying you will die. She says, it could kill you. Uh, so she's not, uh, she's not talking about that Consequence with the same certainty that God gave it. And so the devil says, die, not. In fact, in Hebrew, the first word in this sentence is not. And the devil, the serpent, I should say, only later identified in scripture as the devil. But the serpent says, not dying you will die. He gets it right, which I find interesting, though I don't know what to make of it. He gets it right. Surely you will die. Not. Nah. Uh, and then he says, God's not telling you the truth. You're not going to die. Well, that is, in fact, just an outright lie. But that's what he says. Uh, you will not surely die. God, what God knows something he's not telling you. Let me give you some information that God has not given you. He's not telling you the truth. Now, this is really serves the purpose of just undermining trust. Why hasn't God told you? You know, really... You'll be like God. You'll be as God, knowing good and evil. Now, in my mind, what that amounts to is you can make up your own mind. Uh, you know, God's God hasn't told you everything. God is not to be trusted. You can judge for yourself. Now, in the great uh, organi organization of the, of the universe, who is the judge? God is. And there, what's going on here is, uh, is a strong temptation to... Uh, what we would call idolatry 
to put something in the place of God other than God. And the devil is suggesting to Eve, you can judge for yourself. You, God, God hasn't told you everything. This you will have you will gain it if you eat this fruit. You'll gain an understanding you don't currently have, and God has, didn't tell you that, did He? Die? You're not going to die. So, here's what we hear about Eve. Very next thing, the next verse. So when the woman saw, that's a very important word. She saw. She saw that the tree was good for fruit for food. Okay, let me ask you a question. If you knew, for example, that if you ate the fruit from that tree, it would kill you, would you see that it was good for food? It wasn't actually good for food, but that's what she saw. It's not good for food. God said, the day you eat that fruit, you'll die. That's not good food. Uh, She sees it's good for food. She saw that it was a delight to the eye. It's a very attractive fruit. It looks good. And she saw, maybe most importantly, that it was desirable to make one wise. To make one wise. Okay, well I want to ask the same question. Is this really going to make her wise? No. Not really. Can I, can I add something? Mm-hmm. Your first question about um, the food. If, if she knows she's going to die, does she see it as food? My answer is yes. Well, because I think I, she know, has bought the lie that says know, she's not going to die. Yeah, because I see it. I see it in our everyday living. We know mm. better, <laughs> but we do different. So mm. now, of course, hindsight being twenty twenty. Oh yeah, you know you're going to die. Are you seeing it as food? No, but yeah, I do it every day. Right. So what we're talking about when she yeah. saw is her perception of it. And my point is, her perception is incorrect. It's not actually good for food. But she (coughs) sees it as good for food. And she sees it as uh, uh, a delight to the eyes. And she sees it as uh, desirable to make one wise. When in fact it's great foolishness she's entered into. So her perception is incorrect. But she, this is telling us what she saw in it. And uh, so the, the point I'm getting to is she's substituting her judgment for God's word. She's, she's substituting what she sees for what God has said, told her. And what does that tell you? She's believed what... Uh, what the serpent said, that God is not to be trusted. She started down the path of separation. Yeah, and this, one of the main things I want to point out in all of this, and also when it comes to Adam, is the, the first failure here is a failure of faith, not behavior. Because she's making a judgment to trust, and she trusts her own judgment over God's judgment. So that's a that's a who you're going to trust thing first before it becomes a disobey the law thing. Uh, you can't disobey the law until you quit trusting in it. If you and especially if we start from the reality here that Adam and Eve are not sinful by nature. <clears throat> Like, now we are. But they're not. They're good. So she has to be deceived. Uh, And she's trusting in a...
judgment of her own with the serpent's assistance. So she eats, and then we have this very simple statement. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. Oh, he was with her. (laughs) We didn't know that until now. He was with her. And he ate. Now the scripture makes some uh, point out of she was deceived and he wasn't. He decided. He decided. Now that seems crazy. She was deceived. He decided. Now at this point it's important for us to go back and notice Adam is the head of the human family. Eve was made out of Adam. That's important. In the Gospels, in the New Testament, in the Book of Romans in particular, uh, we didn't, I didn't become a sinner because of Eve's actions. In Adam, we all sinned not in Eve. And Adam's position is a position we call, as I mentioned, federal headship. He's he's the head of us all, including Eve. I believe unless Adam eats, we are not lost. If just Eve ate and Adam said no, we are not lost. But Adam did not say no. You you know, I suspect Adam chose Eve. Adam was certainly in love with Eve. You can see that at the end of chapter 2. My guess is Adam said, I'm going with Eve. She's my partner. I think he might also have said, well, she ate it and she doesn't look dead. So all of this leads us to these questions of sin and death. And the the reason we're talking about this story is to think about what is sin and what is death. And so we want to talk about the theology of sin for a second. And here's my definition. It's in the handout there. Turning from reliance upon God to reliance on self. Trusting one's own judgment over God's word. So, it's important not to just say trusting one's own judgment. No. (laughs) God made us with judgment, and we're to exercise it, of course. But the question is, do we trust our own perceptions over what he has told us uh, uh, over God's word? This is a type of idolatry, to trust myself in preference to God or to trust anything else in preference to God. God is supreme. Substituting something for God is idolatry. Idolatry is the basic nature of all sin. Every sin is a sin against God in that it's idolatry. This is why David, when he commits adultery, says to God, against you and you only have I sinned. Well, David's sin violated lots of people. But the basic nature of it is an idolatry. Uh, And then sin is also the resulting disobedience. Now the key word here is resulting. It's because Adam and Eve turned from God that they disobeyed God. Their behavior in eating the fruit came after their lapse of faith. So even before sin entered the world, faith is the beginning of relation to God, trusting in Him. Well, Faith is the beginning of all relation, isn't it? Trusting somebody. So, <clears throat> here's, some, uh, here's some other ways of saying it. Oh, sorry. In other words, sin is a failure of likeness 
failure of relating to God that results in the corruption of image failure in relation to the created order. They ate the fruit. The fruit was not for food. The fruit was not to be eaten. That's a relation to another created thing that they violated God's boundaries on. They violated that boundary because they had already turned away from trusting in God. So here's some other definitions of sin from some famous theologians. One is from a guy named A.H. Strong, 19th century theologian. He's the guy responsible for Strong's concordance. Can you imagine indexing every word in the Bible without a computer? (laughs) I mean, computers, with computers, it's like easy. But this guy was living in the 1800s, and he and his team indexed every word in the English Bible. And, by the way, created a reference to the Greek New Testament of all of those words as well. It's insane. It's like writing a phone book. Uh, so, anyway, that guy said this. that ch- Sin is that choice of self as the supreme end. Do you hear that? Choice of self as the supreme end. Which constitutes the antithesis of supreme love to God. Here's the funny thing. Jesus said, whoever loves his life loses it. That's what happened to Adam. That's exactly what happened to Adam. He chose himself as supreme, and as a consequence, he lost himself. Uh, Because God is supreme. There's a basic denial, a delusion, an insanity in that sin, is there not? To say, he's saying something is true that is not true. Uh, here's an, another one I like from Robert Jensen. He's a almost contemporary 20th century Lutheran theologian. He says, we are sinners in that we revolve in our own self-reference. Here, here's another way of saying, saying that. Uh, we're... Uh, you, you live in your own orbit. <laughs> he says, we are sinners in that we revolve in our own self-reference, and then this is the part I like, and do so piously. And he was, he was explaining something Luther said, and Luther was explaining something Augustine said, and that is... Uh, Luther liked to talk about us and our ingrown souls. We're sort of turned in on ourselves in sin. We get, and in so doing, we get closed off from relationship to others and, and God. God first and then others. So we become an ingrown soul. That was, that was Luther's expression. And I think he stole it from Augustine. Uh, so... Uh, we revolve in our own self-reference and do so piously. In Genesis 11, there's the story, you know, the famous story of the Tower of Babel, or Babel. I don't ever know how to say that. It's probably Babel. <laughs> but in English, we better not say Babel because that sounds ridiculous. But anyway, the, uh, the story of the Tower. You remember what the people said when they decided to build the Tower? their purpose in building a tower? You might remember that they were building a tower into heaven and when we're little kids, what they teach us is they were trying to climb their way up to God. That's not what the story says, by the way, at all. And when the story says they were building a tower into heaven, that means they were building a skyscraper. They were building a high tower that reaches up into the sky. Heaven is the sky in this case. But in any case, they're not trying to climb their way up to God because here's what they said. 
Let us make a name for ourselves. That's where they were going wrong. Uh, let us make a name for ourselves. This is the same thing. The same thing Adam and Eve did is what they did. The same thing we do is what they did. Which is, I will be my own judge, my own determiner, my own God. Now, a common definition of sin comes from another theologian, contemporary guy named Wayne Grudem. He said, sin is any failure to conform to the moral law of God in act, attitude, or nature. Now, I think that's a perfectly good definition of a sin as an act, but I don't think it's a particularly good definition of sin as a problem. As in, we are sinners. I am not a sinner because I disobeyed God's commandments. I disobeyed God's commandments because I am a sinner. I was a sinner before I ever disobeyed for the first time. And next, in our next session, we're going to talk about how, is, how did that happen? How are we connected to this problem that Adam created? Does God hold me responsible for what he did? So, but what's wrong with that definition is it's kind of legalistic. It's a good practical guide. It doesn't really say anything about what's really bad with sin. What's really bad about sin is that we turned away from God. It's a failure in our relation to God, a break in fellowship and alienation from God. Uh, <clears throat> now, you can notice this if you notice, for example, that the whole law is summarized in two commandments, love God and love your neighbor. Those are relational terms. And so the law, this, the like Ten Commandment law, is a breakout. Well, what do you mean love? Well, I mean this is how you should act. This is how you should act. This, but it flows from a relationship. And the main problem with sin is the broken relationships, not the particular acts. Uh, so we come down to some kind of definition of death then. So sin is turning from reliance on God to reliance on anything else, primarily your own judgment, and the consequential bad behavior, violating God's law. Death is the consequence. Death is... Now, I, as I said, I think Adam might have said, hey, well, Eve ate it and she doesn't look dead. And Adam made it, and he didn't look dead either. Was God telling the truth? In the day you eat it, you shall surely die. Did they die that day? No. Doesn't look like it. They had to raise a family first. They had later on. They had children. That was several days later. Maybe years. He lived out normal in their lives. Seems like. God lying? Is the devil right? When he said, I'm not going to die? Well, here's the answer to that question. It depends on what qualifies as dead. And in the whole rest of the Bible, what qualifies as dead is exactly what happened to them that day. That day, not days later. It just, uh, it just so happens that the physical consequence of that death takes some time. So let's think about what death is. First of all, death is alienation from God, who is life. We might, this, this is partly why I wanted to review where we've been before. Because our 
life depends on God's ongoing presence. It uh, depends on our active fellowship with him. And when Adam and Eve turn away from God, they literally died. Right then. Because apart from that, God is life. God is the source of life. If I'm not walking in fellowship with God, I am not a full-on living human being. So we're contingent beings. Our life depends on fellowship with God. When we cut off fellowship with God, when we're alienated from God, we're dead. We also became alienated from one another. You see it right away when they knew they were naked. Now, before the scripture makes a point of this, what a strange thing to make a point of. It says they were naked and not ashamed. Well, if you asked Adam and Eve at that day, are you ashamed of your nakedness? They're going, they would have said, what do you mean ashamed? It was... The, Moses says they're not ashamed because that's amazing to us afterwards. It's amazing to anyone you said they were naked and they weren't ashamed. What? That's crazy. How could they not be? Well, because no sin. They're perfectly comfortable with each other. They trust each other completely. They walk in fellowship with, walking in fellowship with God. They walk in real fellowship with each other. <clears throat> when they break fellowship with God. Oh, well, I can't trust her either now that I'm not trusting God. And she can't. Now I realize uh, I got to get some clothes on. That intimacy, even the physical intimacy of their relationship now carries risks. Now I can't quite trust that. And so they realize, they put together some clothes. And first, then, you know, when God comes, we'll talk more about this later, when God comes and says, what's going on here, Adam? Notice he addresses Adam. Uh, where is this verse? It says, uh, Adam, did you eat the tree? The fruit from the tree that I told you not to eat? Adam says, the woman you gave, she gave me the fruit. It's her fault, and really it's your fault. Is, you know, she came from you. There's a breakdown of trust. And trust is the essential ingredient of intimacy. So because we've alienated ourselves from God, we're also alienated from each other. And then, of course, is the disintegration of our humanity. In, ver in chapter 3, verse 19, God says, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of the ground you were taken. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. So now we're talking about the physical death that is the consequence of the spiritual death. That alienation from God will kill them. And in the first sense, has already. They are dead that day. And their bodies are coming apart, starting then. All the way back to dust. So this alienation can be seen immediately in Adam and Eve's responses toward each other and toward God after the fall. So that's what happened. 
that day in the garden. Now, we're going to talk some more about this next time. And we're going to see how understanding sin in this way enables us to have a correct understanding of our, our own situation. And we'll notice that we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the problem of imputation. We often talk about imputation as uh, in terms of the righteousness of Christ, where God imputes the righteousness of Christ to the believer. That means he gives you credit for Christ's righteousness. It's not your righteousness. He, uh, he judicially applies the righteousness of Christ to you when you trust in Christ. Uh, well, there's another imputation in the Bible. In fact, there's three imputations in the Bible. But the first one is Adam's sin is imputed to all of Adam's descendants. In other words, just read uh, Romans 5, for example. In other words, yes, you get blamed for what Adam did. You are guilty because of Adam's sin. And when I say guilty, I mean in the judicial sense. You are under the judgment of God that was put on Adam. And this understand this relational understanding of the nature of sin will help us figure out how that could possibly be just. That seems has seemed so unjust during the course of the history of theology that some people have denied it. Say that can't possibly be right. God can't blame one person for another person's sin. So we're going to see how that works next time. We're also going to see how this enables us to have a correct understanding of the unrighteousness of self-righteousness. In other words, how good is it when someone who's not related to God does the right thing? Well, God says it stinks. In other words, how does a truly good deed, an actual obedience, let's say telling the truth, how does God judge that? And how can it be fair to call our righteousnesses filthy rags if they're actual righteousnesses? Uh, so understanding sin and death in this relational fashion will help us figure that out as well. That's, a, again, a serious theological problem. And this particular way of thinking through the fall will help us to come to some kind of reasonable answer to that question. The third thing it helps us understand is this doctrine we call total depravity. Now, that, that name for this doctrine uh, came up in the whole Dutch Reformation thing where there's the argument between the Calvinists and the Arminians. And Calvinists said total depravity and the Arminians said not quite total. And they didn't realize they were really following Pelagius, the guy that Augustine already had, Augustine, I'm sorry, already had this argument with way back in the 5th century. Anyway, total depravity. Total depravity says you cannot solve your problem with sin. That's the doctrine. Because you're a sinner, you can't fix it. And this relational understanding of uh, the nature of sin helps us figure out how that can be the case. Sin, in this case, is not just a failure of obedience. It's an actual disability. And what we see in this understanding is righteousness is not actually righteousness unless God produces it. 
So even when I accidentally do the right thing, it's not full-on righteousness because it's not done in, from, in and from relation to God. God actually doing it. God's not interested in my righteousness. God's interested in the display of his righteousness in me. And those are really actually two very different things. So we're going to, well, that's all like preview for what's coming ahead. Do you know what sin is? Is it not eating from the tree? Or is it the Ten Commandments? Or is there another? It's, it runs deeper. That's the point. And so this, the not eating from the tree or the disobedience to God's commandments <clears throat> flows from our uh, failure in relation to God. And so they eat the tree because they decided to trust their own judgment over God's judgment. So they've, in a sense, divorced themselves from God in order to disobey God. So in my mind, it's the failure of trust, that failure of faith has to precede that failure of obedience, the, the rule-keeping part. You know, so God said, don't do that. That's, and here's the thing I also find interesting. God didn't just say, don't do that. This, sometimes in theology, this becomes just sort of an arbitrary rule that God set up just for them to fail against it. Now, I believe God knew they would fail against it. That's in the plan from the get-go. But he's, he's saying, don't do that. It will kill you. So he's, he's, not, he's not giving a, a rule and no judgment. He's giving them the rule and the judgment. It will kill you. So as long as they exercise their judgment according to his instruction, they're fine. And they're supposed to exercise their judgment. That's part of the point, right? They have actual agency. What they do then is they, well, Eve falls for this deception. She sees this, this, and this. She exercises her judgment against God's judgment. And Adam goes with her rather than God. So Adam's choice is a choice against sticking with what God says. And in my mind, that failure of trusting God is, is the necessary uh, antecedent, the necessary thing that has to come before the sort of formal disobedience, breaking the rule. And what we read in these definitions is that same distinction that when we were talking about what sin is from the point of view of these various theologians. And the one I had a kind of a gripe with wants, wants to make sin the formal disobedience, a, a breaking of God's law. And I'm saying sin is a problem that's that's deep and actually I don't think this guy would disagree with me about this the, that is deeper than just that formal law breaking it's the problem of the heart it's a problem of alienation before it's a problem of disobedience <clears throat> though obviously one follows quite quickly after the yeah, thinking about the story <clears throat> when this came about, Adam nor Eve could have understood what death was because nobody had ever died. Mm-hmm. So that was number one. Number two <clears throat> is they had no idea how much problem this was going to cause. All generations, and I think in the Old Testament, very much so, they have what they call mm-hmm. generational sin. Mm-hmm. And basically, this is 
parallel and parallel it because what he did, you actually paying for what he did up here. Mm -hmm. And and all generations all the way through are paying for a mistake that he made and we were not even born at that. Yeah. Yeah, and it's I think it's it's hard to know exactly what they knew or didn't know about what you know, what is the like when God said, "In the day you eat of it, you'll surely die." I don't know that they understood. I, that. Well, they had to understand it on some level. They both took it very seriously um, until Eve started talking with the serpent. But the so yeah, I think they had some understanding of that. I think you're right, though. They couldn't have had a full understanding of that. Um, and. You know, the tree is the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and I don't think that's just an arbitrary name given to that tree. Uh, though it could be that the knowledge of good and evil on, for them means uh, a participation that is beyond the bounds, right? Like, so how do they how do they know evil? Well, God, God's given them a certain knowledge of good and evil, and he says, don't do that, it'll kill you. Well, okay, so they, they have some knowledge of good and evil, and, but when they eat the fruit, now they're participating in it. They're not just knowing it. It's not an abstract <laughs> idea anymore. But wait, this all involves a good deal of speculation, obviously. Yeah, this is what is going to turn us all up on our head because I think Moses was was credited with writing most of Genesis. Yes. And <clears throat> so basically the question is is the story of Adam and Eve did it really happen hmm. or did is it, it was it was it told in order if like Jesus told stories to to emphasize a point mm -hmm. and this is a great story that, mm -hmm. that tells you all what's happening but the question is did it really happen or was it a story yeah. told in order for people to understand this I think the New Testament provides us a clear answer to that question because uh, the doctrine of the gospel the, the message of the Bible uh, depends on the historical reality of these events. When Romans five, chapter 5 says, one man brought sin into the world and one man redeems us from it, there's the first Adam and the second Adam. And Jesus also kind of makes a little out of this, in, especially in Matthew. Uh, what the, the, the theological problem of sin spreading to all of us uh, requires there to be an actual Adam who actually disobeyed God. So uh, now, I'm, I'm not sure that yes. logic means therefore I have to extend that factual reality to every last detail of the story. Personally, I don't see why not. I believe the scripture is inspired by God. I believe it presents itself to be not just a mythological story for a moral lesson, but the actual history of events. When Moses wrote it, he understood this to be what actually happened. So, I personally, I think... Yeah, yeah. This is a this is a accurate historical description of events, and uh, even if I don't need it to go that far, but I don't. There's no reason not to take it that way, and there, there's a big reason to take it that way, which is uh, if Adam didn't sin, how did we get into this problem? And the New Testament teaches that. So, uh, if there's no Adam, there's no need for Jesus. 
That, that's as simple as I can yeah. put it. That's, that's Romans 5. Think how it would take the whole Bible to explain this one thing if it was not in a story where we could see how everything connected and you had to explain out each point. Mm -hmm. It would be almost impossible. That's why the story is so good. It shows well, right. you exactly how, it's, <coughs> how the deal is. And I think that's partly because we are a story that God is telling. You know, this whole thing is something you could describe as a, a play put on by God. You know, it has a script. The concept of original sin is difficult. I think, yeah. I think, I think for going I, way my back. Pastor in Texas, my pastor in Texas, by the way, uh, his name is Gary DeSalvo. The gentleman actually passed away a little over a week ago. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Tremendous, tremendous guy. He died of ocular cancer. Mm. Um, and he was, uh, he preached until, I watched his last sermon actually on August 11th. Preached until he, he, within days mm. of him passing. But I, I had a talk with him one day about original sin. And um, I mean, he, he laid it on my heart that, that, you either believe all of it, hmm. or you believe none of it. And, and and the concept of original, I told him I had a real problem with that. The fact that I'm being born alienated from God. Yeah. That's a very tough thing to, or was. I mean, you know, and, and, and I guess, you know, still from time to time will cloud my judgment. Uh, don't even get a chance to be close to God when you're born. I mean, that you have to, you don't have to earn it. But you have to proclaim it. You have to ask for His forgiveness, and you have to believe mm -hmm. in the salvation of, of mm -hmm. Christ and, and our salvation, and uh, you know, eternity. But you know, that was just something simple that He said to me one day that uh, you know really stuck. I mean, you, know, you, you said you're kind of wasting your time. You either believe all of it or you believe none of it. I mean, that's mm -hmm. that's it. Well, it is true in in. Biblical theology, especially, I'm not, I couldn't say anything about other forms, but that taking taking one stone out will tend to collapse the whole structure. Uh, of course, that's not true of all the stones, but it is a whole cloth. To me, this is one of the amazing features about. Uh, Theology, biblical theology, is that that actually can be done, given the crazy variety of the sources. But uh, that you can actually—that in fact, the whole thing requires a sort of whole thing understanding. And uh, uh, so you know, but now this argument goes all the way back at least to Pelagius and Augustine this problem of original sin was really kind of their big thing like Pelagius wanted to say no you're innocent when you're born because you haven't actually committed any sins well that was in fact a departure from uh, classic sound Christian understanding uh, but seem like if I if I read Pelagius and Augustine, I know where Pelagius is coming from. I'm like, yeah, right. How can that be? Uh, and my, I think this understanding, this relational understanding of sin, helps you see how that actually comes to be. And I don't want to talk about this too much because it's next time. So. Um, and to me, that's very helpful. I'm like, oh, okay. Not that I like it, but okay. Pelagius also said, you know, if God gives you a commandment, that implies the capacity to obey it. Well, that's not what the New Testament says about the commandment. <laughs> what, God, what, the, what, the, what Paul says about God giving us the commandments is that they are given to demonstrate our lack of capacity to obey them. So uh, the law is good partly because it shows us our original sin in a way we can't see <clears throat> if we don't have the hard data, you know. So, again, we're getting into next week's time. <laughs>
<laughs> other other questions? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your love for us in Christ. Thank you for the ministry of the Spirit in our hearts to uh, help us to understand, to cause us even to understand your grace and to be reconciled to uh, the eternal God. Lord, uh, we trust in your wisdom. Help us to uh, walk that way. And uh, Lord, we believe that you are redeeming us. And for that, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.